Welcome to the Soul Sessions Podcast. Deep dive into the causes and real issues underlying addiction, codependency, emotional eating, weight concerns, and the trance of unworthiness. Tune in weekly to befriend, nourish, and heal body, feelings, mind, and soul. And now, your host, soul-centered psychotherapist, trauma expert, and mind-body eating coach, Jody Gale. Hey everyone, welcome to the Soul Sessions with Jodie Gale podcast. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which my office is based and across which we virtually meet, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I extend that respect to all First Nations, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening to this podcast. Today my guest is Cindy Blank Edelman, and we are going to be talking about the top 10 advantages to liking your body as it is. Cindy has been a licensed mental health counsellor for over 20 years. She has a private practice in Cambridge, Massachusetts, working with trauma survivors, the LGBTQ community and other adults from a health at every size perspective. As a feminist gestalt therapist, her work as a therapist focuses on helping clients with self-acceptance. When she's not working, Cindy likes to spend time with her family. She likes to read, sing and crochet. Welcome, Cindy. Thank you so much, Jody. It's good to be here. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to talking to you. We were just talking beforehand and one of the reasons that I asked you onto the podcast is because we're in a few therapist groups together and I always really value your input around everything you write, to be quite frank, <laughs> but particularly <laughs> around you know body image and, and disordered eating and all the sort of topics that we address here on the podcast. So would you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what brought you to this work? Sure. This part of the work is very personal for me. I grew up in a household where there was really a lot of obsession about food and eating and weight and dieting all through my childhood and my adolescence. And then after college, after I graduated, I started therapy for the first time. And I also discovered feminism. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and all of that together really led me to an understanding of diet culture and how women in particular are oppressed around our appearance and mm. we're objectified and made to feel bad about ourselves all the time, basically. And I decided that I was going to stop dieting. It was mm. very radical. I was going to say, <laughs> very, that is so radical. <laughs> it was. It was extremely radical. And this was like back in, what, 1990. Wow. So it was a long time ago. Yeah. And, but, you know, I decided after like reading and thinking about it, that it really didn't make sense to continue doing what I had been doing. Mm. So I stopped. <laughs> I stopped dieting. I started eating whatever I felt like eating. I think I probably ate chocolate continuously for like a year because <laughs> I had been very deprived for 20 whatever years. Yeah. And it was a hard thing to do because mm. it was really not approved of by my parents. They were not okay with it. I gained weight and I turned into kind of an actual fat person rather than a <laughs> thin thinking person thinking I was <laughs> yeah. a fat person, right? Yep. So, you know, it's kind of the thing I always dreaded. It was like, oh, well, here it is. So I had to do a lot of soul searching and a lot of work around just kind of healing my relationship with food and with my body. So over a long period of time, I've done that work in my own therapy and through reading and talking with people. And at this point, what's so cool is I really feel very free around it. It just doesn't get to me in the way that it used to. I feel good about myself. I feel good about my body on the days when I don't feel so good. I know that it's actually not about my body. <laughs> and food is just food. And it doesn't have these meanings attached to it of like morality, self-discipline and things like that. So it's been a really amazing journey for me 
And when I have clients who are working on this themselves, I try to kind of help them think through the issues with body image so that they can get the same kind of freedom that I've gotten. That just sounds so liberating, especially as someone who's come from that background myself. You know, I haven't had anyone else who is a gestalt psychotherapist on here before, and I just wondered if it might be useful also to maybe just say a little bit about what gestalt actually is, just so that, because this this podcast is aimed at women who are suffering, so I just want to make sure that people mm-hmm. know what we're talking about. Sure. Would you just say a little bit about how you came to gestalt therapy? Yeah. So gestalt therapy is one of those things that I learned as a mention in graduate school. (laughs) So I didn't learn about it in graduate school. And my therapist around that time was a gestalt therapist. And she recommended to me that I might like a particular training that there was gestalt therapy training at the Gestalt Institute of New England, which is not operational anymore in the same way. And so I was like, okay, I decided to do it and see how it was because I thought my therapist was great. And so if that's what she was doing, I thought like, oh, well, maybe I can be good (laughs) as a therapist (laughs) if I learn how to do this. So it was a few years of training. And it's funny because when people call me asking about therapy, if they know I'm a gestalt therapist, nobody ever knows what the heck that means, right? Like no one does, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm always having to kind of try to explain it. And I don't know that I have, I don't know that I have a great shorthand for it, but I guess what I would say, there's a few different things. So one is that in gestalt therapy, we really um, believe in the paradoxical theory of change, which is really relevant to what we're talking about. And the paradoxical theory of change is the more we accept ourselves exactly as we are, the more possible it is for us to change. So oh, that's, that's, that's tricky in this beautiful. context, right? Because I actually don't think that we should have the goal of changing our bodies, and that's why we should accept ourselves. I think that's the goal mm-hmm, <laughs> in, exactly. in and of itself is self-acceptance. But in terms of therapy, helping people to accept themselves where they are, as they are in this moment is a really important part of what I do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's probably why you stood out to me too, because I noticed in a lot of American therapists sort of Facebook groups that there aren't a lot of gestalt therapists. It's it's actually very big in Australia and we still have quite a few really thriving gestalt psychotherapy programs. But I mm-hmm. am noticing the more medicalized treatment becomes with insurances and things like that, that there's a unfortunately a move away from creative sort of psychotherapies. I trained in psychosynthesis, so ours includes some gestalt training within that. So I think that's why you probably stood out to me as well, Cindy. It's uh, It was nice to see a gestalt therapist there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, it's kind of lonely in the land of Facebook as a gestalt therapist, but it's just one way of looking at the work and everyone has different ways and this exactly. is the one that works for me. Today we're talking about body image and maybe you could start by letting people know what body image actually is. I would say very literally body image is what you think and what you feel and what you perceive about your own body, regardless of what your body actually looks like or is. Mm. That's body image. And One of the things that I think is important to remember and also pretty radical is that body image really doesn't have anything to do with what your actual body looks like. Yeah, it really, really, really doesn't. Important. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? There are people who look all different ways, who feel all different ways about their body, including the people who look in the way that you think you should look. They also have crappy body image. Though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So mm-hmm. you can't change your body image by changing your body. It doesn't actually work that way. Say that again. You can't, you can't change, change your... your body image by changing, changing your, body. your body. That is so important. 
I went through lots of up and down with my weight and yo-yo dieting, lots mm. of that for a long time. And I never felt good about my body. Never. Oh, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right? That didn't matter whether I was fat or thin or like, it, it, I never felt good until I stepped away and I said, I'm just going to work on accepting myself as I am. And that is what helped to improve my body image, really. And so what do you see as the cause of poor body image from your perspective? Generally, what I would say is it's diet culture and oppression, different kinds of oppression. Sexism and misogyny have a huge impact on women and a huge impact on how we see ourselves and our bodies. Mm. But it's not only that. You know, racism and uh, homophobia and all different kinds of oppression affect our body image. Mm. So basically, I think negative body image is internalized oppression. So it's the messages we get in the world and we take them and we kind of swallow them whole and then it feels like they're ours. So we just keep telling ourselves the things that we learned from outside. And the things we learn from outside are all negative about our bodies. So that's where the negative body image comes from. And no one gets to escape that, at least not in certain contexts. I do also want to say that there are lots of people in the world who do not have the good fortune and luxury to worry about body image. Yeah, They don't have enough to eat. They don't have a place to live, right? They're trying to get by day to day. Mm -hmm. They're Mm -hmm. suffering from violence. So really, we're talking about a fairly privileged place to even be thinking about body image. And yet, (laughs) it hurts us so much, Mm -hmm. the oppression and the negative body image that Mm -hmm. we've internalized. You know, it's interesting. One of the things you mentioned there before talking about privilege was that we internalize all the negative things. So it's fascinating to me that we don't internalize all the positive things about ourselves. Yeah. You know, what's so interesting is the research that's been done about happiness and around uh, positivity and the negativity bias that Mm. we all have, that we've all like kind of evolved to have, right? So the quote I like is that the brain is like Velcro for the negative and (laughs) Teflon for the positive. (laughs) So positive stuff hits and it just slides right off. Mm. And negative stuff hits and sticks (laughs) to the extent that we want to have more positivity around our bodies or anything else. We actually have to intentionally make an effort to take in the positive and to create more things that are positive for us too. But otherwise, the negativity bias that we have just means that we just don't take it in. Mm. You know, I saw, I recently did Circle of Security parenting training and uh, mm. I'm raising two kids through foster care to adopt. So obviously done a lot of trauma sort of training around all that kind of stuff. But I think I read somewhere for every negative comment that gets made to a child, they need nine positive ones to counteract it. And and what we know when there's childhood emotional neglect or there's abuse and, or whatever else, and e- even with kids growing up in perfectly good families, but where there is uh, parental negative body image to hear those negative messages, you know, that mm-hmm. many times, obviously, and without the counter positive to counteract it, it yes. becomes very problematic. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's why it's still very radical to love your body as it is. It's really, really radical, right? It is, it is. Even though I started that journey like 30 years ago, and it was radical then, and it's still radical now, you know? Yeah. Wow. So how does negative body image affect our health? Like what's the impact that it has on us? I think negative body image is really bad for our health. It's bad for our mental health, obviously, but it's also bad for our physical health. It prevents us from taking care of ourselves in the ways we need to. So lots of people avoid going to the doctor because they don't want to hear what the doctor has to say Mm. about their weight 
and they don't yep. want to be weighed. And there is just overt oppression in that environment and they don't want to deal with it. So they don't go to the doctor. A good example is also diabetes. So mm. my mother was diabetic and very obsessed with her weight. And it was very difficult because if your diabetes is really out of control, you lose weight. And so what would happen is she would, her diabetes would be really out of control. She would lose weight. She would go to the doctor and the doctor would say, your diabetes is really out of control. Oh, and by the way, you know, good job on the weight loss. Mm. <laughs> and yeah. then she would gain weight because her diabetes would be more in control and her body was actually using the stuff that it took in and then go to the doctor and the doctor would be like, oh, well, you know, you really need to lose weight. And so she'd go off her medication because she'd lose weight again. So that type of thing, it, I mean, it's not just diabetes, but for all kinds of physical health reasons, it's not good for us to hate our bodies. We can't mm -hmm. take care of our bodies when we hate them and when we think they need to be different. Uh, yeah, and I've got to say, you know, there's diabetes in my family and yeah. my blood sugar was very sort of up and down for a while there. And what I noticed, exactly the same thing, is I, I actually had Invisalign fitted to my teeth and mm. it's fascinating everywhere you go. So firstly, the dentist or the orthodontist said, oh, you might have a positive side effect of the Invisalign, i.e. you <laughs> might lose weight, which actually I did accidentally. Mm -hmm. And then when I went to the doctor, she said, oh, you've, you've lost so much weight. It was quite a significant amount. And then she said, oh, hang on a minute but your blood sugar's higher than it was. And so mm. it made me laugh because I thought all these years you keep saying, every time I come here, you need to lose weight, you need to lose weight, you need to lose weight, you know, to help with my blood sugar. And yet when I lost weight, it made it worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, dealing with the medical system and the healthcare providers around our bodies and our body size is very difficult. And this is another area in which I feel like I've been radical for 30 years, you know, <laughs> going to the doctor and the doctor says, well, you have two choices for medication and this one might give you some weight loss. And I say, oh, well, then I don't want to take that one because yeah. I don't want to lose weight. Boy, stunned silence. Stunned. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, but I don't. That's not my goal. Mm -hmm. It's not a factor in what I want. It's just another oppressive message that we get. And we shouldn't get that in a healthcare setting, really. Mm. So what other ways does it affect our health if we... Well, I think also, I mean, I certainly have experienced a lot of people who are very depressed and are prescribed mm. antidepressant medication which helps and then they gain weight mm. and then they think oh this side effect is not manageable i have to go off because yeah. being fat is worse than being miserably depressed uh, and that's yeah. just internalized depression right there choosing depression over oh, yeah. being fat that's a sad statement and also because of negative body image it makes it hard for people to exercise yeah. it makes it hard for people to kind of eat <laughs> yeah. you know it just makes it difficult to have any kind of relationship with food that is satisfying and actually feeds your body and the mm. way that you want to because you're just so obsessed with how big you are mm. and it's i i just think it's really bad for people's health and it's just so unenjoyable too i just remember my sort of 30 years of dieting and uh, just how miserable it was and yeah. i remember i got given a voucher i think it was for my 40th birthday for a um high tea in the city here and um i wanted to take my my friend knows i share this story so it's fine but i wanted to take my best friend with me because it was for two and i remember saying to her you're only allowed to come if you eat <laughs> because uh, I, I thought I didn't want to go and sit and right. and ha have someone like not eating the sandwiches because of the carbs and whatever else. Yeah. And I just remember how miserable that was when I was mm. living like that too. It's just horrendous. So, 
Yeah. And, and many people are living that way. So. Exactly. So I loved your blog, The Top 10 Advantages of Liking Your Body As It Is, and I thought it would make you know a great episode for today for our listeners. So would you please take us through the advantages of having good body image? I sure would. I have this in front of me so I can <laughs> read them to you and talk about them. All right. So... First of all, if you like your body as it is, you have a lot of mental energy freed up to focus on other things, and you can do what you want to do now without waiting until you look better. That is huge. (laughs) I didn't anticipate that that would be the case, but really, how much mental energy do we spend because of diet culture on food and no food and dieting and weight and self-image and trying to look in a particular way and hating ourselves, right? Imagine what would be freed up, how much energy in the world would be freed up if we just weren't devoting it to that. Mm -hmm. Like imagine what we could do. When you talk about oppression, this goes hand in hand for me. Yeah, It's like imagine if we weren't oppressed and we had all that energy, imagine what we could be. Yeah. And even if we are oppressed, imagine what it would be like if we rejected it and didn't internalize it and Mm -hmm. we noticed it and we said, no, (laughs) no, I don't believe that. I'm not taking that on. Right. It just frees up so much energy and allows you to, I think, live a better life. Okay, next one. You can buy clothing because you like it and not because it hides what you dislike about your body. Mm. So this one, it's funny for me to remember because for the whole first part of my life, my entire goal around shopping for clothes was to make myself look thin. Like That was the whole (laughs) point, (laughs) right? And I never liked shopping for anything, but Mm. I certainly didn't like shopping for clothing. And at some point, once I had stopped dieting and I had gained weight and I was actually fat, I was shopping for clothing and I was still going through this kind of like just instinctive at that point, well, what's going to make me look thin and what's going to make me look fat? And at that point, I was like, wait a minute, I am fat. There is nothing I can wear that is going to make me look Look thin. thin. (laughs) It is not possible. Like, I can't do it. So I can just disregard that altogether because it's not possible. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, There's clothing I like because of the color and the texture Mm. and because it's comfortable and it's beautiful. And, you know, it was just like a whole world of possibility opening up because I just stopped worrying about, was it going to make me look thin? That was amazing. And I certainly, like a lot of times when people are talking about weight loss, They say like, well, the problem is I don't fit in my clothes anymore. And so I have to lose weight so I can fit into my clothing. Mm. And I always feel like, yeah, that's really backwards. Mm. Like buy new clothes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like, you know, obviously if you can, but really what I ask people is I say, okay, so let's imagine that instead of your growing out of your clothes because, you know, now they're too small, let's imagine that you lost a whole bunch of weight and your clothes were now too big. Mm-hmm. So would you be saying, oh, I got to gain that weight back because <laughs> I don't fit into my clothes? Yep. Right? It's laughable, right? It is. And everyone's like, no, I would buy new clothes. Exactly. And so, <laughs> right? And so then I'm like, well, go buy new clothes, you know? It's interesting, a few years ago, it must be, well, when was it? Probably, I think about 2014 or 15, I was in at a gift shop down on the northern beaches here where I live and we were standing there buying something and this woman walked in and she was big, she was tall, she was big. The whole shop turned around and stared at this woman. She was stunning and it was 
not because of her physical looks, it was the way she held herself and it was unbelievable. And she had this caftan on, which I now know to be a Camilla caftan, so I'll I'll link to that in the show notes for anyone who wants to have a look from overseas. So she's an Australian designer. But they are full of colour. And I remember looking at her thinking, oh, my God, I could look like that. Like, I could wear that. I'm big. I can wear a Camilla caftan. And so guess what I went out and bought? And that was the last day that I ever wore all sort of, you know, I mean, I do love navy blue and I do like black, but it was the last time my wardrobe was ever just black and navy blue, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so yeah. freeing. And it's really interesting. I went out into, into dinner one night in the city and I got into the lift with um, all these really like 21, 22-year-old sort of young girls. Every single one of them said, oh, my God, I love your dress. Oh, my God, look at this woman's dress. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. You know, yeah. so it's, it's very, again, coming back to just so freeing, I think. Yeah. Very liberating. Yeah. yeah. So the next one. Oh, next one. Okay. You can exercise for enjoyment. This was another very radical thing. Exercise and diet culture are very linked, unfortunately. Mm. So a lot of times when people are exercising or going to a gym or doing any kind of exercise, even if it's not in the front of their mind, in the back of their mind, it's like, how many calories am I burning? How many times do I need to exercise this week to lose a pound, you know? And as someone who grew up steeped in diet culture, still when I'm at the gym mm. and the thing shows the calories, like oh, yeah. oh, my brain automatically calculates like, oh, this many calories in a pound if I do it this many times. And you know, I laugh at myself because I know that it's actually, it's actually not true. It's actually much more complicated than that. It is. And that it, it doesn't, it's not my goal anymore. So what if your goal for exercise were to feel good? Mm. Not to feel good about how you look, but yeah. to feel good, right? What if it was about that, about being strong and about being flexible and about having, you know, the ability to do things physically that you'd like to do and to have fun? It's a totally different experience than exercising so that you can be thin, you know? And if you set a goal that you want to exercise in a way you enjoy for X amount of time, you can achieve that goal. Yeah. If you set a goal that you want to exercise so that you lose weight and keep it off, you mm. cannot achieve that goal. Yeah. So it's very discouraging and people stop exercising because they can't get the thing that they think they're supposed to get from exercise, you know, and no, it's sad. Yes. It is sad. And I think the thing is, too, is, is what then happens is that people choose exercise that they don't even like doing because it's yeah. it burns more calories or because it's, right. you know, it's, you know, going to have a bigger impact weight wise or something. So there's a whole heap of people, for example, who love to dance, but would never do that because they're busy doing the treadmill or the right. whatever it is. Right. And because we still live in diet culture and yes. You know, if you go into a place where there is a treadmill and uh, there's a dance class, the people who are doing the dance class are all of the thin people and the people who are doing the treadmill are all the people who are, you know, there to lose weight. I mean, there's overlap, but, you know, broadly speaking, the message is very clear Mm. that everybody is supposed to be working on weight loss. And when I have worked with personal trainers at the gym, I've said, no, I don't want you to weigh me. Mm, That's mm. not a goal of mine to lose weight. No, I don't want you to measure me. It's not a goal to change my measurements. Mm. And it's hard. (laughs) It's taken a long time to kind of develop the courage to be able to say things like that. Well, it's still Um, radical. It's Again, it's coming back to being extremely radical, isn't it, to be able to say that to someone. It is. And in in some ways, people just don't even know what to do with it. But Mm -hmm. you know what? I like exercise a lot better now. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. 
So next, and kind of in a similar vein, you can have better sex because you're not worried the whole time about what your partner will think about your body. I think that's fairly self-explanatory. But if we're having any kind of sexual or physical intimacy and we're focused on ourselves as objects for somebody else, I don't think we can fully inhabit our bodies in that moment and really have much pleasure and enjoyment. We're just too split. Okay, so let's see. You can be a positive role model for your children or other young people instead of teaching them to feel bad about their bodies. And, you know, let's just not create another generation of human beings who feel terrible about their bodies. Let's just not. <laughs> like, we've we've been there. We've done that. It's been long enough for us to suffer in this way. Let's just see if we can have the next generations grow up thinking they're fabulous as they are. And, you know, I feel like there's kind of an ethical obligation for us to do that for the younger generation because they shouldn't have to go through the pain of feeling so much negative body image and internalizing all of the oppression. We have to teach them that they don't have to do that. Okay, so you can eat food that you enjoy and that makes you feel good without obsessing about what to eat, what not to eat, and how much to eat. This is also huge. I mean, yeah. <laughs> just really, uh, it's really amazing to eat what you want when you want it as much as you want, right? Without thinking about all of the weight implications and all of the negative body image implications. You know, when I was young, I remember hearing this saying, which I would say to myself a lot to try to get me to stop eating, which was nothing tastes as good as thin feels. Oh, I remember that. It was, right? a, um, it was a thing on the fridge that my, I think yes. my stepmother used to have actually. Yes. And first of all, I don't know if that's true because some things taste really good. But second of all, what tastes as good as that and what feels better than thin is freedom, oh, yeah. is liberation. <laughs> liberation feels way better than being thin and obsessed about what you're eating. I've been there. Liberation feels better. And it frees you up to try new things, go to new restaurants, and have new experiences that are enjoyable without having to wreck it because we have to worry about, are there too many carbs? Are there too many calories, et cetera? When I was in Chicago a few years ago, I was, well, still am obsessed with Oprah and I wanted to go to her chef's restaurant. So he's got a restaurant there in Chicago. Actually, it was probably about 10, 12 years ago. So I was still, I'd only just been introduced to health at every size. So I was still very much recovered from my eating disorder, but really still in the back of my mind thinking that maybe dieting was still the answer. But I remember thinking I was there on my own and what would it be like to, I booked the restaurant, but then I thought, oh, Friday night on my own. This is the sort of things that you say to yourself. People are going to think, no wonder you're fat. You're sitting in a restaurant on your own on a Friday oh. night and like with no boyfriend or something. I mean, I was really? married and I... <laughs> I mean, it is right. just crazy the things we tell ourselves. So I left the booking right. in and I thought I'm going to walk up or up the Magnificent Mile and I'm just going to see like who else is in there. I don't actually have to keep the booking. And I ended up saying, if you don't do this, Jody, you're going to regret this so much because I'd seen him cooking on the Oprah show for years and years and years. And so I let myself go in on a Friday night and sat on my own in, in this five-star sort of restaurant. And when I got inside, they said to me, oh, would you like to sit up at the chef's table? And I was like, oh, I'd love to do that. So I sat up at the chef's table and then the people next to me, they said, oh, what are you sort of doing here on your own? I said, and they said, oh, are you a food critic? And I, do you know what? I, turned around, I went, yes, I am. <laughs> and I awesome. just sat there and fully enjoyed this meal. I think they like gave me free champagne and everything. So I got quite drunk. <laughs> and then I had to stumble all the way back to my hotel on my own. It was such a good night. And I just thought mm. if I was still in that mentality, I, I wouldn't have allowed myself to do that. 
as a really good example of how body image is not about how you look, Oprah and other celebrities are a really good example of that, right? With all of their accomplishments and achievements and things they have done and money they've earned and a difference they've made in everyone's lives. And look at Oprah, she's had, and I love her, but I think part of, I mean, she's bought into Weight Watchers. It's so chronic for her, I think. Yeah. To me, it's like a really clear demonstration of how this is about oppression and it's about how we internalize that. And we just really believe that we're not good enough unless we're thin. And it's sad. My hope is that we can really try to escape from that. Yeah. All right. So the next one is you become a more interesting conversationalist because you are not always talking about how much you hate your body and how you were trying to fix it. Can I just say diet conversation is incredibly boring. It's very repetitive. It's very tedious. And everyone has expected things they're supposed to say and ways are supposed to respond, right? Mm. You're supposed to say, oh, I'm so fat. And the other person's supposed to say, no, you're not fat, I'm fat. (laughs) And, you know, oh my God, it's mind numbing. Mm. (laughs) Like, what could we talk about if we weren't talking about that? If that wasn't the focus of what we had to talk about, our diets or what we were eating or not eating. I've been a vegetarian for whatever, 30 years, but it's not the focus of my conversation, yeah. <laughs> right? I don't feel like I have to talk about it with people because it's just what I do. Mm. And people being so obsessed about weight and food and eating, it's just, it really destroys conversation. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> That's all I have to say. Okay, so also, if you like your body as it is, you'll be refusing to conform to the norms established by a society that values certain kinds of bodies and demeans others. Yeah. So what I say is be radical, right? We do not have to continue to take it on. We do not have to continue to believe the oppressive messages that we get and to reinforce them with everybody else. We just don't have to. We can decide to do something else. And I I think we'll feel better if we do. Also, you can seek out relationships with confidence about your attractiveness. I don't know how many people are out there feeling like they can't find love because they're too fat. And It's always sad to me because there are a lot of fat people in love. So approaching relationships with confidence in yourself, I think, leads to better relationships and more of a sense of possibility. And finally, you'll be able to love yourself right now as you are, which is a really amazing thing. It's really amazing to say, like, actually, I love myself right now, right? In this body, as it is. I don't have to achieve anything to earn that. I love myself right now. And it's an amazing feeling. Absolutely. Yeah, just wondering, so are there any exceptions to the above around accepting radical acceptance around our body? What would you say about that? Well, yeah. Transgender people, for instance, they may need to make changes to their bodies in order to feel okay. (laughs) But those changes work (laughs) in a way that weight loss doesn't work. Weight loss is not a sustainable change. And the kinds of changes that trans people make to their bodies so that they will look the way that they are supposed to look, Mm. you know, in their own identity and conception of themselves, that's a possible change. And it's not easy to go through that process, obviously, but we shouldn't confuse people doing things to be able to express themselves and their gender. We shouldn't Mm. confuse that with dieting and weight loss. They're really two different things. Yeah, absolutely. So look, I'm listening to your points and I'm just loving what you're saying. And for people like you and I, I mean, you've obviously been, you know, a bit more radical than I have been and a bit earlier, but we've done a lot of work on ourselves around our body image and all of these points make total sense. 
but I'm thinking if someone's listening today who is smack bang in the middle of like yo-yo diet, even, and I'm actually going to come to this later, but even therapists stuck in this stuff and, you know, you've got the general public, the majority of people dieting the majority of the time through to people who are disordered eating. So I'm probably thinking if I was in that position right now, back where I was all those years ago, as if the only thing that would make me feel better about my body would be to lose weight. Like I'm not having a bar of what you're saying, Cindy. There is no way. (laughs) Yeah. What advice would you offer them? I think what I would want to say to them is, oh, honey, I get it. Mm. I really do. (laughs) I really understand how you learned that. And I'm so sorry that that's where you are. And I understand the appeal of having this this method of if you just do this thing, then you'll feel good about yourself. I really do understand it. And I'm sorry that you're having to deal with it. And, you know, what I would say is, you know, I'm here. I'm here and I'm happy to talk with you about that. And of course you feel that way, right? If you're living in a world in which it's like swirling around you all the time, it's actually not reasonable to expect that you don't internalize that, right? Just as if we're in, when we're living in a world and racism is swirling around us all the time, it's not reasonable to expect that you don't internalize any racism or any other kind of oppression. So of course, of course you feel that way. I get it. Yeah, absolutely. So what would be something that they could take away today? What would be your first step for for someone mm. who, who is stuck there? Uh, what, and actually, so, I want to just pick up on what you just did then. Yeah. Because I was listening to you and I was thinking, oh, I bet you're a great therapist. <laughs> <laughs> but what it was about that was your tone, the kindness, mm. the compassion, the softness versus diet talk, which we talked about a couple of episodes. Sarah McMahon said was called Stop the Fat Talk. It's mm. it's so harsh and critical and mean. And the way you were speaking then, Cindy, was just everything anti that. Yeah. We can't fix the negative ways we talk to ourselves by talking negatively to ourselves about that, (laughs) right? Like we can't berate ourselves into feeling better about ourselves, right? I mean, unfortunately, if we could, then I would feel way better about myself, right? Because (laughs) I can berate myself with the best of them, but it just doesn't work that way. So what I would say is, so the tagline on my website is radical acceptance, radical change. And as I said before about Gestalt therapy and the paradoxical theory of change and why self-acceptance mm. is so important. So what I would say to somebody who's stuck in the dieting and who kind of feels like, Ugh, I would like to not be in this anymore, but I am. And mm. I just believe that this is the only thing that will help is what I would say is see if you can accept that about yourself. See if you can accept, okay, this is where I am. And perhaps you can also accept it's my intention to not always feel this way. (laughs) It is my intention to feel better about my body. And that's not where I am right now. That's okay. I'll work on it. That's perfect. I love that. So, Cindy, we are in a very active Facebook group together with a lot of therapists and uh, I don't know how many times this comes up, maybe once a week. Usually someone who isn't in the eating disorder field will ask for advice around body image, disordered eating, supporting weight loss for clients. I'm interviewing someone tonight actually about um, whether Noom is a diet or not because that comes up a lot in the group as well. Yeah. 
And it's usually actually not the person posting that they're actually asking for advice, I notice. But what I notice is that a lot of the responses are that we should be helping clients with their goals, not ours, around um, weight. So we should be supporting clients in their weight loss goals if they don't like their body or if they need to lose weight in, you know, for health reasons or if the client's obese, and again, in um, inverted commas. So... What advice do you have for therapists supporting clients with body image concerns from your perspective? Well, my main advice is to see this as what it is, which is a social justice issue. It's not a health issue. Yeah. It's about social justice and oppression. And what other oppressed group would you say to somebody who's coming in and saying, essentially, I hate myself because I'm in this oppressed group and that's what I've been taught, mm. In what for what other client would you say, let me help you hate yourself, oh. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, you exactly. don't, right? You don't because you see it as a social justice issue. And that's what it is. It's a social justice issue. It is inhumane, unjust, and wrong that People feel so terrible about their bodies based on diet culture and fat phobia. It's really a terrible problem. So I think that we can frame it that way for ourselves and with clients. And the reality is if a client comes to me and they say, I hate myself for this reason. And so I want to change who I am. I don't say excellent. (laughs) Let's work on that. I don't. And when clients come to me and they say, I really want to lose weight and I really want your help with figuring out, you know, how to do that in a healthy way, Mm. then I, as kindly and gently as possible and with a lot of compassion, say, I really understand that that's where you're coming from and that that's what you want. And I really wish there were a way that I could help you with that. But there is no way that we know of to lose weight Mm -hmm. and maintain that weight loss for more than a few years. We just don't know of a way. There isn't a way. Mm -hmm. All the ways that people say are the way don't actually work. That's right. So I feel like I'd be doing you a disservice to help you to do something Mm. to take care of yourself that I know isn't going to be helpful. Yeah. So, and I say this because I want clients to know that if they want a therapist who is going to help them with weight loss, I am not that person. Yeah. I am not. And they have the right to seek out a therapist who comes from that perspective and who will do their best to help them with that and fail because weight loss efforts inevitably fail, right? So, but fine. But I want them to know that that's the reality. The reality is, is that you could find any number of other therapists who will support you in your weight loss. And there's a reason that you're seeing me, (laughs) right? Exactly, yeah. Well, the thing is too, Cindy, is it, and it's something I talked about with Cheryl Fuller way back on episode, I think six or seven, but we talked about the fat lady in Yalom's book. Is it, which one is it from? Is it yeah. Schopenhauer Cure or something like that? I can't remember. And the conclusion that we came to in that was that poor fat Betty lost weight and he was very proud of himself for helping her lose weight, but he completely missed her. Yeah. He completely missed her. And when we focus on that as a therapist, we're focusing on the oppression, the the, the false self, the, the the trauma, the you know, we're we're not actually we're not actually modeling and mirroring to this client that you are worthy because you were born. You are worthy as you are right now. When we buy into this helping clients along that path, Anita Johnson calls it a red herring. We're focusing on something that isn't even, I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for, but we end up focusing on the wrong things and we miss the client. This client needs to know you are lovable as you are right now. You don't need to lose weight to be lovable. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that's a really good 
point about missing people because I think the reality is that because we're so steeped in diet culture, that a lot of times negative body image is a stand-in for something else. I certainly have experienced this where clients or just people in my life who are feeling like, their lives are really out of control, mm. will suddenly start talking about wanting to lose weight. Yeah. Because yep. it's a thing. It's like a concrete thing they can do. And in the yep. short term, they will see the results, right? It's like taking control in a way. Yeah. And there's actually just... Re- Remember, there's a blog post on my website about dieting and control and about how really if you're feeling out of control and that's what's motivating you, then there are lots of other things you can do that will actually make you feel better as opposed to um, dieting, which actually makes you feel worse. Well, you end up feeling, as we know, I mean, I I don't even have to start a diet anymore. I just have to think about one and I'm standing at the donut stall. (laughs) So, you know, the minute I think about restricting, all of a sudden this other part just comes out and like, no, 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 we're not going down the restriction route. (laughs) Right, Um, right. So we end up out of control very, very quickly, very quickly. Well, and sadly, you don't even enjoy the donuts. <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> right? it's not, you know, I mean, that's a really sad thing, right? Is like Absolutely. you're not even enjoying the food you're eating to kind of, you know, take care of yourself. Of course, because I've just seen a book about uh, lowering blood sugar, which mm-hmm. is, I'm not even going to say the numbers because it might be triggering for people. But yeah. when I opened the page and saw how restrictive it was, I literally outside the shop is the donut store. <laughs> and <laughs> so while you're there buying the donut, because you've, you're triggered by the diet yes. talk, you're still thinking about how bad then, how bad the donut is because you've just read the sugar book. So it's... Yeah. it's all pretty stuffed up, isn't it? Yeah. Well, and really the best thing we can do for our health and for our eating, right, is to accept ourselves as we are and to have food just be food. Oh, exactly. And <laughs> right? I just want to note there's actually nothing wrong with eating donuts either, by the way. <laughs> right, right. But to, to, there is no such thing as a good or a bad food. It's just food, right? Sometimes I eat it because I like it. Sometimes I eat it because I want my body to feel a particular way. Sometimes I eat it because it's going to give me certain kinds of health benefits. At least that's what I think. And sometimes it's a birthday and I want cake, you know. Oh, Absolutely. Um, so coming from the perspective that food is just food, it's just, mm. that's all that it is. It doesn't stand for anything. Perfect. It's very liberating. It is. And I think that's a really good place for us to end, unfortunately. I mean, I could talk to you well, for hours. Thank you. <laughs> this has been so great. <laughs> I knew you'd um, know what you were talking about, Cindy. But look, would you tell people what your website is? And I will obviously link to everything in the show notes. So, Sure. So my website is blankedelman.com. So it's B-L-A-N-K hyphen E-D-E-L-M-A-N.com. And also I have a professional Facebook page, which is Cindy Blank Edelman LMHC. Pretty much if you Google for Cindy Blank Edelman, you'll find me. I don't really think there are a lot of other Cindy Blank Edelmans in the entire world, so (laughs) I'm pretty easy to find. Fantastic. And like I said, I'll put a link to all these blogs that we've been talking about in the show notes as well. So great. Look, thank you so much for coming. I really value your time and your wisdom, your 30 years of uh, radical acceptance wisdom. So thanks for coming, Cindy. Thank you, Jody. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Soul Sessions podcast. Love this episode? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. To learn more about how you can befriend your body, feelings, mind, and soul, get Jody's free 65-page ebook at thesoulcenter.online. Until next time.